up tonight, I want to finish, as if I could, I want to at least finish our time talking about this, the thing that he brought up, which were ministry gifts. Now, just for basic definitions, I want to share with you that there are three categories of gifts in Scripture. There are three categories of gifts in Scripture. These are the names that I'm giving to them. They're the names that some others in the body of Christ has, have given to them as well. So I'm going to use those names because it's helpful categorically. And the first is motivational gifts. We call these the gifts of the Father, Romans chapter 12. We'll be focusing on that in a few weeks. There are also the ministry gifts. These are gifts of the Son. That's what we're going to focus on tonight in Ephesians chapter 4 as we did last week. And then there's manifest, manifestational gifts my words, manifestational gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. We'll be focusing on that in a few weeks as well. Spend three weeks on just 1 Corinthians 12, and I believe you'll get a lot out of that when we do. So these are the three categorical uh, categories of, of spiritual gifts uh, that we'll be discussing. Tonight, we're diving into the ministry gifts once again, and I'm just going to read uh, the scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 16. So it's a little, it's a little bit longer than we normally read, uh, so you might have to take a breath in the middle of the passage reading, but I think that we need to read the entire passage to kind of get what Paul is saying. So this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you have a highlighter or a pen, that is a great passage. That verse is something you want to underline. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. I'll come back to that. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That word fullness is a very important word in our conversation. To the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Everybody breathe and blink. All right? 16 verses, 16 powerful verses 
Just a little context here. Paul wrote the letter not only to the Ephesians, but this letter that he wrote was actually meant to circulate. It's really important when you look in the history of Ephesians, some letters were meant to just go to a specific house or a specific people. But when you look into the history of this letter, it was written to all of the churches in Ephesus, but the believers in Ephesus were very scattered in the city. So Paul knew that this letter was going to circulate, and they've actually found more copies of Ephesians than others, which leads people to believe that this letter was widely circulated far beyond Ephesus. So Paul had that in mind, that other believers beyond just a house in Ephesus that he had started in that, ch- that church was going to read the, what these words that he wrote. In the previous chapter, Paul spoke clearly about the power and the privilege of being in Christ and that we have been called into such a great salvation uh, through grace or by grace through faith. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 1 going into chapter 2. In chapter 3, <clears throat> Paul talks about the mystery of what God wanted to, to do in Christ, which is now revealed, namely bringing all nations together through Jesus. So Paul is talking about Jew and he's talking about Gentile. He's saying that God's plan, God's mystery in times past when he established in the old covenant, you know, we have the temple, the priests, and the sacrifices. He's saying God's ultimate plan, which was a mystery in the old covenant, was to bring the Jew and the Gentile together in Christ that they would be one new man, one family under him. And he's saying this mystery is now revealed and Paul is a is an ambassador, he's an advocate, he's a messenger to the Gentiles to bring them in to knowing God through Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying. This mystery is now been revealed. And then he starts chapter 4 saying, "Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you or I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called." I use that verse Often enough when I pray that God, what God has done for us, what God has given to us is so amazing that we respond in giving our life for him, giving our life to him. And that's what Paul is saying, walk worthy of the manner for which you have been called. You have been called into such a great salvation is what he's saying, that this is incredible. Like it, it shouldn't have to take a hype man to make people excited about what Jesus has actually done, right? But we get up here and we try to get people excited for what God has done in Christ, but that's what Paul is saying. It's like the only response, walk worthy. He's not saying walk in works. He's saying walk worthy. In the same way that that Christ has been revealed to you, the weight of what has happened for you and to you, respond to it in the same kind. It's like if a a sports game was going on, some kind of important Super Bowl, and all of a sudden this climactic moment happens and the team wins and you're like, ah, your, your response is uh, equal to the thing that actually happened. You know, you respond in like kind, and that's what Paul's saying. Walk worthy in the manner for the calling in which you've received. This great thing has happened. And so that's how he starts chapter four, and he goes into talking about what we have in Christ together as a people, that God is not just raising up a person, God is raising up a people. And through the Old Testament, you see God raise up a Moses or a prophet who was a spokesperson, a mediator between God and man. But what he's done in Christ is he's the, Christ is the only mediator between God and man, and Christ is the head, and we are the body, and he's building us up, connecting us to the head so that we can be who God's called us to be. And he's trying to tell them that this is how the body needs to function together in order to become what Jesus paid for. 
And that's what Ephesians 4 is all about. And it's very important to know Paul's not just trying to give them some principles and practices about spiritual gifts that we can simply dissect apart from this context. He's saying that because of what Christ has done, because of now who you are, and because of what he is doing, I want you to know how it's going to function that Christ gave these gifts in order to see this happen. It's very, very uh, important. And so we call these gifts, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, we call these gifts the fivefold ministry. You may have heard that term uh, before. And there's a little bit of a discussion as to whether or not there's four of them or five of them because he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Some say that it's actually a pastor-teacher gift rather than a pastor gift and a teacher gift. It doesn't really matter to me. We're going to dissect them as five because I think that's totally legit the way that, the way that I see it. But uh, we call this the fivefold ministry. And this is how it says that Jesus gave these gifts to men. And as Pastor Dale shared with us last week, that he could make gifts of men. I want to say it as, as clearly as I can. He said it, and it was really great. These, are, these gifts, the fivefold gifts that are mentioned here in this passage, they're not gifts that everybody has as an office. We all have leanings one way or another, which you'll hear me talk about a little bit. All of us have leanings towards apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. We all have leanings, and you're going to identify with some of the things I'll share under the different gifts. But not all of us are called to carry the authority of what's called an office, a five-fold ministry office, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. There are some that God gives that to, and he says, for the building up of the body, for works of service as we'll discuss. And so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to break them down and we're going to go, go through them simply and then maybe we'll have time for questions at the end. But I, that's simply what I'm going to do as you can see on your outline. I first, of course, want to talk about the apostle. And by way of definition, one of the primary things that the apostles do is the apostles govern. Now you may have the question or you might have heard that there are no more apostles today. Now, I'm, I'm somebody that believes that there absolutely are apostles today, but of course there are not direct apostles of Jesus Christ, just like there are not direct disciples of Jesus Christ. There's a difference between the 12, or 11, however you want to look at it, there's a difference between the 12 original apostles, or direct disciples of Jesus, and the apostles that are here today that God has anointed for a specific task. It's very important. So some people say there are no more apostles. I don't agree with that. The scriptures don't say that anywhere. But we still need the apostolic gift because the kingdom of God is still advancing. The church is still being built until we all reach unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature to the fullness of the stature of Christ. And by the way, we haven't gotten there yet, so we still need all five of these. Okay. All right. I'm working with you. So apostles govern. This is what a definition of an apostle is. One who is sent with a special commission. One who is set apart, sent forth, or sent on a mission. One who is divinely appointed uh, as a representative. They're a delegate, an ambassador, ambassador, a messenger. These are somewhat literal definitions from the words themselves. But what's important is you see like uh, from Scripture, here's some references in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1, it shares very clearly that Jesus was the first apostle. He came from heaven to earth. He was specially commissioned by the Father and the Son. Really, it was a collaborative, a collaborative plan, and they sent the Son from heaven to earth. He's the first apostle with a special mission to accomplish. 
Jesus called 12 apostles in Luke chapter 6, verse 13. I dare, uh, I, I, sh- should I ask you uh, what the, all their names are? Maybe some of you learned that in Sunday school, but we always get to like the sixth one and then we forget the rest of them. You know, they're not mentioned very often. But Jesus specially anointed and commissioned 12 men as his direct apostles who would begin what he left off. That's what it says in Acts chapter 1. It says, as uh, Luke is writing to Theophilus, whoever Theophilus is, he says, to you most excellent Theophilus, I am writing to you about all that Jesus began to both do and teach. And then he goes on to write out the book of Acts, which really we, we have historically called the Acts of the Apostles, really are the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, is what it should be. But anyways, you see how God moved through the apostles to extend and continue what Jesus began to both do and teach. And so Jesus called 12 apostles. There were other apostles in the New Testament, Acts chapter 1, verse 26. Because they lost Judas, uh, there was another guy that they picked. What was his name? Matthias? Matthias? And you never hear about Matthias again. Somebody should do a a message on Matthias. (laughs) Let me tell you about Matthias. Message over. You know, I mean, that's sort of how it would go. Tonight, I just, it's on my heart to talk to you about Matthias. You never hear about him again. So anyways, there, in Acts chapter 1, you, you see that they were comfortable in appointing another apostle. All right, So we know that there was a continuation in the apostle's mind that they would continue to keep going. In Romans chapter 16, verse 7, you also hear a reference to two other apostles. And one is a woman in the way we understand women's names. And so there was a man and a woman functioning together in the apostolic call, specially called, anointed, and appointed. Now, I want to just tell you a little bit about the function of an apostle. Apostle is a pioneer. Uh, The apostles start new kingdom ventures, churches, ministries, businesses. You kind of have to transition a little bit in your thinking because we're not talking about the direct apostles of Jesus. So what do the extended extended apostles of Jesus do or what did they do throughout the centuries and what do they do today? They they are pioneers. They, They start new kingdom works. Uh, churches, ministries, businesses, many of the books that are written about ministry gifts refer to apostles today as missionaries, and that's partially true. Of course, today, there are missionaries who have an apostolic gift on their life to start the works of the Lord in a place among a people. That is absolutely the case, but not uh, not every missionary is an apostle and, uh, and not every apostle is a missionary. There are other things that they did, and there are other things that they do. And by the way, these aren't like hierarchy uh, positions that you put on a business card, okay? You understand? I, I was a part of a ministry one time, and they, every, it was like if you threw a rock into the crowd, you'd hit an apostle because everybody, you know, everybody wanted to be, have a name. And so that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about function. Amen? You guys with me? Jesus gave these to build his church, so we have to think about that. Another thing that the apostles do is they build. Apostles provide wide-range leadership to the church, vision, strategy, expansion. As the churches began in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 was when the church was born. As Peter preached a sermon, 3,000 people were added to the church. As you see, those apostles, what they did is they, they took the gospel to the ends of the earth or the known world at that time. And then what ends up happening, what we still see, by the way, we still need that today. You know, there are many unreached people groups today. And we don't always realize that unless you're an international traveler. It's one of the things that's helped me in my ministry to expand my thinking is to see the world. 
when you go to different parts of the world and you see how unreached the world is. I was in Turkey last year. 98% of Turkey is Muslim. 70 million people. We need some apostles. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? We need some people that will risk their lives and go into Turkey, as we have some friends that have done that. They'll risk their family, their lives, and they'll go into those places, and they will plant churches and ministries and kingdom ventures that will reach the unreached in the name of Jesus, with the gospel of Jesus. That's what apostles will do. Apostles, they build wide-range leadership to the church. Some apostles will simply build foundations. That's what they'll do. They have vision. God gives them strategy. And so they're always thinking about how, uh, how foundations can be built and how foundations can be laid in the church, how things can be done better. Usually an apostle is a refiner by nature. Now prophets are that way as well, which we'll talk about. But apostles are always thinking about how things can be better built. It's just who they are. It's just what they do. Apostles, apostles also appoint. They appoint others to lead and minister. You see that also is called discipleship, but they do it at a higher level with a higher capacity. I don't think everybody's an apostle. I don't think there are lots and lots of apostles. I think God raises up apostles for these kinds of things that we need, that we need to do, and they equip the body to do the very things that they do. On a large scale, they equip the body to do those things on a smaller scale. It's just the way that it is. So somebody might exhibit qualities of an apostle in their life and not in fact be, quote unquote, an apostle because they've been trained or they've been mentored at a church where somebody that was a pastor had an apostolic anointing on their life and a call and a gifting and because they were teaching and mentoring and you were under that mentorship or you were a part of that body, you take on that mindset and so you want to do the things that they've been teaching and training you to do so you might exhibit those qualities but it doesn't make you an apostle, it just means you've been trained well and hopefully that's what all of us, that's what all of us are. And we'll come back to that in a moment, but I want to talk to you also about the prophet. What does the prophet do? The definition is that the prophets guide. Remember, the apostles govern. God gives them this kind of authority, but prophets guide by the word of the Lord. Now, literal definition, a prophet is a spokesman, a speaker, a special messenger, one who speaks under divine inspiration, not necessarily every minute of every day, amen, (laughs) still people. It's funny when you bring up the word prophet and people go, ooh. It's like, it's just, it's just a job description, people. That's all it is. A seer. Uh, in the Old Testament, there would be prophets, seers, and watchmen. And there are different words. Not every seer in the Old Testament was a prophet, okay? And not every prophet was a seer, okay? Um, or actually, every, I'm sorry, every seer was a prophet, but not every prophet was a seer. That's how it works in the Old Testament. But a seer is one who sees visions from God. Prophets see visions, they dream dreams, not just for themselves, but on a wider scale. Okay? They think about the body of Christ. They're seeing for the body of Christ. They're think- like a father, like a mother, is thinking about other people. God gives them things for, the, for everyone else. So there are a lot of people that are prophetically gifted, and I have people come to me all the time, and they're, they're like, I had this vision or I had this dream, It doesn't make you a prophet. A prophet is one who gets visions and dreams or revelations from God, not outside of or contradicting scripture, amen, but they get revelations, I know, I see you, they get revelations from the Lord and they give those to the body, uh, especially to the elders for consideration, for direction. Forthtelling and foretelling is what they do. There are also 
watchman, one who guards and they keep watch. They keep watch for the wolves that come in uh, in sheep's clothing. You know, there are people, and I've, I've uh, been here long enough to see people come through the church who say they're a Christian, they, they look like a Christian, they act like a Christian, they talk like a Christian, but they ain't a Christian. And I've been on the end of having to ask people to step down or having to ask people to even leave the church because they were wolves. That's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. It's not like I woke up in the morning as a pastor and I thought, I can't wait to kick somebody out of the church today. That really excites me. It's one of the hardest things you have to do because you go through this process. And when people don't adhere to it, you realize that it can harm the body. Amen? It's like a father. You're watching out for your sons and your daughters. Well, hopefully we have some prophets and we have some pastors that are willing to stand up for what's right for the sake of everybody. That's hopefully what we have. And prophets are really good about stoking those fires and those flames, about doing what's right. They call people to righteousness. They're not always liked and loved because they'll speak the truth at their own cost because they really are compelled by the Lord to do so. It's what they do. The references, Old Testament prophets, uh, priests, kings, uh, priest, kings uh, were specially anointed. Prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament were specially anointed uh, prophetically. 1 Samuel 22, 5, 2 Kings 6, 11. I could go through this all night, really. I'm writing a book right now, actually, on this, by the way. So hopefully, I'll be done this year. Uh, there's also false prophets, those who are motivated by demonic spirits to lead people astray, according to Matthew chapter 24. You have Deuteronomy 18 and other passages. I want to be clear, a false prophet is not somebody who prophesies and misses some details, okay? That's called a false word. A false prophet is somebody, according to Deuteronomy 18, who is not speaking for the Lord, and they're leading God's people astray, okay? I, I've run, I don't know how to do this. Okay, I've run into people who believe that if you prophesy and your word isn't like 100% accurate, that you're not a prophet. There's no margin for growth in that thinking, is there? Now let me ask you a question, because we want to think through this critically, because those scriptures that people use in Deuteronomy 18, that's a messianic prophetic word about Jesus coming. It says when the prophet comes. And Acts chapter 3 clarifies that the prophet is Jesus. It's not talking about successive prophets who are going to speak revelation from the Lord in the body of Christ. you got to be really careful with your Bible when you start referencing things that somebody told you. Here's what a prophet is doing. Prophets, apostles, pastors, evangelists, and teachers, all of them start as immature people who are embracing the, the gift of God on their life and seeking to walk it out. None of them, none of them are perfect. Right? I actually think that a teacher has a hard job the prophets get stoned, but the teachers are teaching the Word of God. The Word of God is eternal. And think about how many people are out there teaching the Bible inaccurately. You want to stone somebody, stone some people that are teaching the Bible, the eternal, forever, all generation, for all people, for all time, Word of God, and people teach that inaccurately every day, and they skate under, oh, you know, they're just growing. By the way, prophets are growing as well, okay? Now, they need discernment. We need, the body of Christ needs to weigh words that people prophesy. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 14. You weigh words because it's possible that those words are off. 
if somebody ever says that all of the words that they prophesy are 100% accurate, that person is telling a lie. That person is telling a lie. Now, nobody that I know that's a prophet gets up in the morning and goes, you know, I can't wait to speak in the name of God and miss it. That's exciting. I mean, I want to blow it so bad that all the live stream people know it. You understand what I'm saying? I can't wait to say God said and be so off that people are going to spread it around like wildfire. That excites me. could hear a pin drop on that one. That was good. I just let you guys do that. That was great. Working with me. False prophets are not people who miss it. Just like false teachers are not people who, who taught something and it was somewhat inaccurate based on what scripture really meant. You, you understand? What, under that kind of thinking, you, you'd have to throw every ministry under the bus. That's what happens when you have no process or protocol for growth, right? It's called perfectionism and we need deliverance from it now. It's not helping anybody. Not one of us is perfect, right? Not one of us hears the voice of God perfectly, not one. I've had people challenge me on this. I, that's fine, challenge me on it, it's cool. Whatever gift that God has given you, you're not perfect in it right now. You're growing in it right now. And if you don't have a tolerance for growth, I'm not saying tolerance for sin or just wanting to blow it because that just excites you. I don't know anybody like that, I don't. I know people that do weird stuff, but they're not my Bible and they're not Jesus and I just let people, you do you, I'm gonna do me, I'm gonna do it according to scripture. That's, that's what we're gonna do, but... I just don't know people like that, and I, I, don't, I don't understand the reasoning um, that everything needs to be done perfect. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. And when you think like that, you have no understanding of discipleship at all. Seriously, think about it. How can you raise people up and have this perfectionistic, you have to get every word perfectly right all the time? You'll never raise a prophet to be mature, ever. And that, by the way, that is why you don't see many prophets in the body of Christ on a platform. It's because we have no tolerance we have little tolerance for growth, and we don't know how to weigh prophetic words publicly and give correction publicly where people don't get wounded and offended and just leave the church automatically. Can I say to you that I long for a day where we, as the body of Christ, know what gifts are, what gifts are for, how to develop people in their gifts, how to correct people as they're happening, without somebody having to sit down and feel totally, utterly rejected. And I want to tell you this. If you're prophetically gifted or if God's given you this prophet anointing on your life, you need to get used to being criticized. Get used to it. You, gotta need, you need to toughen your skin a little bit because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to miss it sometimes. And you don't, you don't, just, you don't justify it. You humble yourself. If you miss it, you humble yourself. I've missed it a few times. Pro I've prophesied over people and I've missed it. I can, I can I remember them. <laughs> I can remember the people's face. And it happens. But I humbled myself and I said, I'm sorry. It was, I, I, I thought that I was hearing accurately and I, and I missed that. I don't, know, I don't know how I missed it. I don't know, but I didn't go delusional as a result of it. Right? It's just like looking back at my old sermons. Like, oh my gosh. painful. It's painful. References. New Testament prophets. You see Agabus, Silas, uh, Acts chapter 13. It actually says in Acts chapter 13 that they were waiting on the Lord, worshiping and fasting, 
And then it says this. Listen, Acts chapter 13, you can write that reference down for later. It says they were waiting on the Lord, worshiping and fasting, and Paul was there. And Paul and the, it says, the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work in which I had called them to. Now that is the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And they are anointed and appointed to be sent out apostolically that day publicly. It says, the Holy Spirit said. For whatever reason, I was in a class one time and this guy was teaching that the Holy Spirit speaks um, like audibly and for people to hear. And I was like, oh, that just doesn't sound right. And then I started reading the Bible, (laughs) not listening to what he said. But I started reading it and it says right there in the first verse, it's like, and there were in Antioch prophets and teachers. And if you continue to read, it says, and the Holy Spirit said. How did the Holy Spirit say it? Through a prophet. Set apart for me, Paul. That was some vital information. Don't you agree? It wasn't just like some ethereal, you know, this voice just came out of nowhere. It was a voice came out of a prophet. That's why it says it. There were prophets and teachers. They were fasting and praying, worshiping the Lord, waiting on the Lord. And the Holy Spirit said, he said through a prophet. Acts chapter 13, you look it up later. And so we have these in the New Testament. The role of the New Testament prophet is different from the Old Testament. The New Testament prophet is not the spokesperson for God. The New Testament prophet is someone who equips the people of God to prophesy and to hear the voice of God for themselves. Because according to Acts chapter 2, you and I have all been anointed by God. The Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts and we can now all hear from God because Jesus is the only mediator between God and men. And so the prophet is not to speak for God And like other people can't hear God, the prophet speaks forth from the Lord, and while he does that, or while she does that, the people of God can hear the Holy Spirit themselves and affirm those words and weigh those words because they also have access to God. So really, the prophet is to equip the people to hear the voice of God themselves. Now, this is their function. They equip, they help the church to hear the voice of God, Ephesians 4.11, that's what it says, equip the, the church for the works of service. They foretell, which is to speak about things before they actually happen. Agabus did that in Acts chapter 11. They call him a prophet. They foretell, which is to share with others what God is saying to them right now. I, I like to say that prophets foretell, they speak forth the present priorities of God. Prophets will speak forth the present priorities of God. Now, not every prophet carries that title. I, I think there are a lot of people that carry the that carry the anointing of prophet, but nobody, recog- they, when, because we don't have a recognition culture where we know who's who necessarily, we're a little behind the eight ball on this, we don't always know. But we do know Sally, man, she's got a word. And when Sally gets up and shares, we know that the Lord uses her to speak through her. And uh, I know a lot of people that are prophetic and, and their words are like sugar pills. I mean, it sounds good, it tastes good, but you forget it when you walk out of the door. But then there are people that when they speak, you listen. Do you understand what I'm saying? You may not even like what they say, but when they speak, you can't help but hear what they have to say. It might fight with you a little bit, but that might be an indication that they're a prophet. They foretell. There's a confidence in prophets because they fight for that confidence. I would even say that um, behind every smile is a frustrated tear, so to speak. They strengthen the body. They speak with conviction. They build foundation in the church. You see that in Acts chapter 15, verse 32. This is what they do. They, they speak with the conviction. They build foundation. They strengthen churches. The speaks of the prophets were going around strengthening the churches. They discern. They help determine what is really from God. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 
and verse 29 where it says that a prophet will speak and other prophets will hear and listen and weigh the word that's being, that's being spoken. And so they're discerners as to whether or not what's being said is from God. Actually, in the first century, prophets were very necessary because Scripture hadn't been written. And one of the primary um, functions of a prophet was to determine the source of what someone was saying because people would come through and say they were prophets or apostles. And you see that in Paul's writings. People even refer to themselves as super apostles. So they would come into the church and they would speak as itinerant ministers. And the prophets that were there that were developed, praise God for that, they were developed, they were listening to what was being said and they would tell the believers or the body or the pastors and elders in that church what they're saying is not from God. And now we have the, we're equipped with the word of God, of course, which is our primary way in which we hear God. And the words of prophets cannot contradict scripture, of course. But there are plenty of things that scripture tells us generally that prophetic voices can speak forth specifically. And that happens very often, especially in a church that has that kind of environment. And by the way, you say, well, why doesn't this happen in some environments? Some environments are not conducive for these kinds of gifts to grow, right? Oranges don't grow in my backyard. Why? Because the environment here is not conducive for oranges to grow. Oranges grow in Florida, right? That's where they grow. They grow in abundance in Florida. And so if an environment isn't conducive for certain kinds of fruit to grow, they just won't grow. So what we want to do is we want to create an environment through reading the Word, believing the Word, and with the help of the Holy Spirit for those things that Scripture tells us about to actually happen and flourish. That's what we're doing here is we're, we're simply facilitating an environment where God can do all that He wants to do, all that the Word speaks about. We don't want to inhibit God in any way, as if you could, but you can that's why it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, do not quench the Holy Spirit, which indicates, by the way, that you can, you and I can quench the Holy Spirit. It is possible for you and I to do that. It says don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't quench. The word quench is very similar to if you've ever washed your car and you've had the hose and it, the hose gets quenched, the flow of the water stops because it's quenched. You have to straighten the hose out so that the flow can happen. We can quench the flow of the Holy Spirit. In the church, we can do that, and so we're trying to straighten that out so we can see God move in the way that he wants to. Now, there are also evangelists. He says, apostle, prophet, evangelists. Now, evangelists gather. They're messengers of the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, in, the, in the first century, the word for evangelist, the Greek word, was also used as one who brought the news of a military victory. Isn't that awesome? They would use the word, the same word that, that we read evangelists in Greek, it would be used in their society as somebody who would bring the word that we have won the battle. We are victors in this thing. And I believe that is what evangelists to do today as well. Jesus has won. He's taken the keys back. He's conquered the grave, death, hell, and the grave, and that all who believe in Jesus can have everlasting life. The enemy has nothing on us anymore. It's now what we give him. The references are this, Jesus was an evangelist, Mark chapter 1 verse 15, he, he preaches the good news. He's the first preacher of the good news, Jesus Christ. We see John the Baptist was, was pre that. Philip was mentioned as an evangelist in Acts chapter 21 uh, verse 8. He's also mentioned earlier as well as an evangelist. Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist in 2 Timothy 4, 5. He said, do the work of an evangelist. You know, share the, uh, preach the word in season and out of season, whether you're ready or not, always be ready, always be ready to do the work of an evangelist. 
Now, we have this idea that if I'm not an evangelist or I don't have the gift of evangelism, I don't have to share the gospel. That is absolutely a lie. Every believer in Jesus should share the gospel one way or another. Everybody. It doesn't mean you're going to be effective at it. (laughs) Some people have that gathering anointing on their life. They're magnetic. I mean, they just read the yellow pages and people are drawn to them. You understand what I'm saying? Hopefully that's not all they're doing. But an evangelist is very magnetic. And they carry that authority. It's like when they speak and when they preach the gospel, you want to get saved again. I mean, Billy Graham is a great example of this. I went to Reinhard Bonnke's School of Evangelism not that long ago, back in September. Reinhard Bonnke is an evangelist. They've seen in Christ for all nations, they've seen 76 million people come to Christ under their ministry. Like, during his lifetime, most of which happened in the last, I think, 15, 17 years. In my lifetime, half of my lifetime. It's incredible. That's why we support their ministry is because they are, I mean, he, he had a vision of a blood-washed Africa, and now his name is a household name, but Jesus' name is a household name as a result of Reinhard Bonnke and all that God does through them. It's incredible. And so there are evangelists, by the way, this is probably where I should mention that there are different levels of authority for each office gift. Lest you think that I would say like every evangelist should have a ministry to 70 million people. Some office gifts, whether it's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, they're gifted, anointed, and they have the authority just to a local church. And that's the scope of their authority. They're they're never going to have a reach beyond the church. Some have a reach to the region. Some have a reach to the nation. And some have a reach to the nations. So none of us have to feel guilty if we don't have a reach to the nations. We have to understand that God gives the measure, verse 7, the measure of Christ's gift different measures according to Christ's gift. So there are different gifts and there are different measures of those gifts. Are you with me on this? And you'll see that happen. You'll see that in the body of Christ. Um, Some pastors will pastor 20 and they always think that they should pastor 500 because that's what the new church growth conference tells them and they feel guilty, but they should just simply pastor who God gives them. Some pastor 100, some pastor 500. It doesn't matter. It's all for what the, it's all what the, what the Lord wants. Amen? So evangelists, they share the gospel almost everywhere they go, the church, store, job, home. They provoke and equip the church to share the gospel everywhere they go. That's a fundamental thing that evangelists do is they're stirred to get other people to share the gospel. And sometimes when they're immature and you'll see them on the platform, they always make everybody feel guilty for not sharing the gospel. That's one of the things that they do. They're really good at it. They're just like, we should all share the gospel, and I can't believe the body of Christ doesn't ever share the gospel of Jesus. What are you doing with the gospel, friend? What are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> you know. Tell me you've never heard that before. And that's my version of it. They're usually good communicators, people magnets. They can filter relationships through their passion, so they kind of come off like salespeople at times. And so they're not typically, this is just my observation, they're not typically very deep in relationships because they just, they're just so singly focused. And I don't fault anybody for that. It's just kind of how it is. So they just, it's always, they're one answer people. There's only one answer. It's all about Jesus, man. It's all about Jesus. 
what do I do with this situation? I don't know. You just go to Jesus. The gospel settles it all. <laughs> you know, you're just like, thanks, I think. And we know that there's, that's why we need all of the gifts in the body. When you're, when you're young, when I was young, I was most enamored by evangelists and probably prophets, but I'm most enamored by evangelists because there's just so much fruit that comes out of their life, and you think, oh, they're the most effective Christians. No, they're not. L- listen to me. This whole thing is built on what Jesus has given to his whole church. We don't glorify one. We don't glorify another. We glorify Jesus. And just because one person is more fruitful, it doesn't mean they're actually a better Christian. It's the measure of Christ's gift in them that's functioning, that's flowing through them. Now, they might play a role and a part in that, but one of the things that I've gotten away from is the celebrity star status of people in the body of Christ. Forget that. You know what it does? It makes people feel guilty for not being other people because we compare ourselves to others, and because we don't look like somebody else or talk like somebody else or act like somebody else, somehow God's not pleased with me, and that could be farther from the truth. It could be the farthest thing from the truth in your life. And so we're, we're pursuing what God hasn't given us instead of embracing what God's put in front of us. And when you do that, you end up pursuing the wrong thing and rejecting the thing that God has called you to. It's very true. Now, I think we should receive from evangelists, and if you're an evangelist, you want to be raised up as an evangelist, but you don't, you don't need to feel guilty for not being what they are. You just need to receive from their gift and be stirred and provoked to share the gospel. Don't reject that part of it. Absolutely, I want to share the gospel. Absolutely. But if you don't have the same fruit as them, that's from Christ. You know, that's from Jesus. I've been around some very highly anointed people, and, and they're just as weird as the rest of us. In private, they're just weird. You're, you, you are weird. Don't you look at me and tell me, I'm not weird. You're just not comfortable in your own skin yet. That's all that is. I think everybody's weird. You know, you, if I were to follow you home and just observe you and you didn't know I was there, I bet you I'd see some weird stuff. <laughs> is that true? Some stuff you say and stuff you do, nobody else knows. Jesus knows about that stuff, y'all. That might be the prophet talking right now. Jesus knows some stuff. He knows all stuff. I'm just trying to get the guilt off you, but I want you to embrace what God gives through the evangelist so that you can share the gospel. They keep us on the gospel. They keep us sharing the gospel, not our version of the gospel, the purity of the gospel. Okay, then we need the evangelist. The, the evangelist is the guy, and I think it's Mark chapter 4 or 5. He's the guy that when they were bringing their friend on the stretcher to Jesus, to the Jesus conference that was in the house, and it was all packed. The conference was packed. And they couldn't get in. They couldn't find a way in. He was the guy that was like, hey, I got an idea. Let's rip a hole in the roof and lower him down. think that's a great idea. That's an evangelist. And sometimes we get annoyed by that person, but every one of us needs one of those persons in our life because it sharpens us to do the thing that we need to do, all right? Whatever it takes, get people to Jesus, right? We bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus, and they're very effective at helping us to do that. Now, there's also pastors. Pastors are, they guard. Pastors are shepherds. They guide. They're overseers. They take responsibility for the spiritual well-being of other people, 
That's what shepherds do. That's what pastors do. In the Bible, the word pastor isn't mentioned very often, and so you'll see the word shepherd, it's actually interchangeable with the word pastor. It's very much the same thing. And actually, you'll see that Paul, when he uses the word overseer, often he's referring to a, shep- a pastor as well. And so you have to pay special attention to Paul's pastoral epistles, Timothy and Titus, because he's using these words interchangeably, and you'll see that. Now, there's references. Jesus referred to himself as the shepherd, and by the way, Jesus is always the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. He had the fullness. He was the Christ in a body. We are the body of Christ. So what he had in fullness, we have in part. That's why we need all of us to complete the Great Commission. It's very important to know that. It's very important to know that. So we need each other. Paul referred to pastors as overseers in the church. I have references there, Philippians 1, 1, 1 Timothy 3, 1. Now the function of a pastor, they lead. God usually calls pastors to lead the, the church as a whole. That, that's very typical. They teach. Part of their caring for people is they desire people to know and walk in truth. They seek. Uh, pastors seek people out. They don't give up on people. Pastor Chris uh, from Mill Creek Foursquare, not all of you are from this church, but our senior pastor, he is a pastor through and through. That man drips with the love of God. I mean, if you even brush him, you'll go, oh my gosh, what was that love? What was that? What's love got to do with it? Apparently everything. Apparently everything. Wow. That man, and he's one of my best friends, but he is a pastor through and through. He shepherds people. He doesn't give up on anybody. He goes to the furthest extent for people, even when people have been terrible to that man. And I'm like, cut them off. They're done. We're done. <laughs> you know. But I, I too, have to go to that. I, I've learned. That's why I've received from his gift, as he's, as he's stewarded his gift in front of me, I've received from his gift. The measure of Christ in him, it's rubbed off on me in a way that I'm forever grateful. And he would say the same about me and and my gift mix. But they don't give up on people. They just don't. And they go to great extents. They counsel. Pastors help navigate people through the troubled waters with sound biblical wisdom. And they also care. They just plain care for people in a number of ways. Typically, they have mercy and compassion. That's the gift mix of a pastor, typically, not always. Sometimes, people that are called a pastor are not actually pastors. See, what we do is we use the word pastor for a blanket statement for everybody that gets up on a stage or is in charge of a church. Actually, there are a lot of apostles. There are a lot of evangelists. I was actually under an evangelist that was called a pastor, but he was an evangelist. So every sermon was the same. I mean, he had one sermon, and he just hit it at every angle he could possibly hit it. Bridget, my wife, would be like, what was, it, what was the message about? I was like, you know, <laughs> Jesus saves. I mean, <laughs> Jesus is alive. You know, that was, that was like our series, Jesus is Alive. I mean, it just sort of went on for f- five years. <laughs> I mean, it's like we're starting a new series. It's called Jesus is Still Alive. <laughs> you know, you're just like, <laughs> you're an evangelist, my friend. But anyways, <laughs> right, so you have to recognize that we call people, like I'm called a pastor, but I don't believe that's my gift mix, not, not at all, and everybody that knows me personally knows that that's not my gift mix. I do pastor because I've received from pastors, and I, know, and I do that. That's, that's the role, you know, demands that I do some of that. 
But I'm not, I don't function as a pastor, which is why some people, when they're around me, they're like, does he even like me? <laughs> you know, I've heard this. You know what I've heard more than anything else? You intimidate me. I hear that like all the time. I'm like, gosh, what does that even mean? Stop saying that, you know. Hopefully that just goes on in my mind. But the different gift mixes draw things out of people and draw people differently. You see, but do you see how we need each other? Like in our church, people don't know how we function, like, like Chris and I together, and, and we have a whole team, but like Chris will speak, and Chris is like, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Right? Anybody, anybody from our church knows, anybody of you know pastors like that from your church? God loves you so much. He just loves you. And then I get up next Sunday, and I go, you need to love God. And they're like, what church did I come to this morning, you know? But isn't that the full message though, right? God loves you, so you, we, are, this response that comes out of us is we need to love God. But we often hear the message in isolated ways because we think somebody's supposed to be carrying like the fullness of Christ. Listen, the message that I'm trying to get across tonight is that we carry the fullness of Christ together and we need to glean from every gift in the body that God has given and that's what causes us to grow up into fullness. That if we have a hard time receiving from different people, I'm telling you, listen to me very clearly. If you have a hard time receiving from certain people in the body of Christ, there is a breakthrough for you on the other side of embracing the gift that God has put in that person. There's a breakthrough for you because it's personal preference. I really like this gal. I really like this guy. I really like this person when they speak. Stop saying that. Stop saying that and try to glean from Jesus in every person that's speaking to you, whether it's coffee or a sermon. It doesn't matter. Whenever you're sitting with somebody, glean from the gift of God that's in their life. I'm not saying you have to agree with what everybody's saying in terms of their content. But if it's just a preference issue, you walk away from church and you go, I don't really like that person. And somebody goes, why? And you go, I don't know. I just don't. You start projecting motives on people. Have you ever done that? Look at me in the face. God knows. Have you ever done that? Or you walk away and you're like, you know, I just, the way that they said that, you know. It proves, what I, all I'm doing is in an exaggerated way, I'm proving that you and I have these preferences. We're picky. And we like to receive, usually we like to receive from people that are like us. I guarantee you, if you like listening to me, it's because you're like me. Or sad to say, you want to be like me, which is hard to imagine. But anyways, but it's true. Right? I'm using me as an example. I'll use somebody else so it doesn't sound self-absorbed. But if, if, if you really like Pastor Chris, if you really like listening to Pastor Chris or Pastor Dan Hammer at Sunrise or whatever, it's probably because if you resonate with him like more than all the other people that you listen to, it's probably because you have something in you that's like that. And really what it is, it's a gift mix. It's not just a personality. It's, it's more than that at times. Do you understand what I'm saying? But what we need is we need the functionality of the body of Christ because when Chris draws people into the love of God, I draw people into a strength of the fear of God. And by the way, we need both. We need the friendship and the fear. You just do. Or you'll just be living an unholy life, sloppy, God loves me, and I can just do whatever, and you're not feeling the conviction of the Spirit, not feeling guilty, but where you're like living in conviction, it's like, I need to get my life right. I can just dabble in some of this sin. 
That's, that's, that's actually squandering my inheritance in this life. And the prophet will get up and be like, bam, <laughs> bring us to the righteousness of Christ. But in the new covenant, hopefully they'll do that because we have the power of the Holy Spirit to live it out. We're not, no longer living by the righteous requirements of the law without the power of the Spirit. So hopefully a new covenant, New Testament prophet will do that. Okay, not just convict us, but inspire us at the same time because of what we have in Christ. So anyways, pastor, teacher, and I'm going to wrap this baby up, okay? How, how, what's my time? Am I on an hour yet? Praise the Lord. All right, so we're on an hour. Anyways, all right, you guys good? Are you receiving anything out of this? Or are you just being really nice? Because you know I, I can tell if you're lying. Just, just being serious. All right, no, I'm joking. Um, Definition of a teacher. Teachers ground people. You see how I use the G's? I talked about governing, guiding, uh, gathering, guarding, and, and the teachers ground people. They build foundations. They provide practical instruction for earthly kingdom living through biblical truth. Now, there are a lot of good pe- teachers in the world uh, just in natural things, but s- we're talking about like spiritual teachers. Jesus was a teacher. He taught with authority. The scribes and the Pharisees didn't understand the authority in which he spoke. Luke chapter 4, verse 32, there were many teachers of the law. The early church had identified teachers in Acts chapter 13. Remember I said that they, there were many prophets and teachers in Antioch. So they actually had identified in the New Testament people who were teachers in the church. The, other, the early church also had false teachers, just like there were false prophets. You see that in 2 Peter 2, 1. And we're all meant to teach in some capacity because look what the Great Commission says. Remember, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on earth and in heaven. Now go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I commanded you. So all of us are a part of the Great Commission, and we all need to be taught by teachers so that we can teach others. So as we glean from the teachers in the body of Christ, don't get annoyed that they're overly thorough. You need that for your life because you could be at your workplace and teaching somebody there. Or you could be in your home teaching your children or spouse to spouse. You guys are teaching one another. We need this anointing not just from the pulpit, but we need this anointing in the body. And the teachers equip people on how to teach the scripture. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that there are people that God's gifted so that they can break things down for us in a way where we can glean from that and give it away because of God's anointing and gifting in the body? I love teachers. I love all of these gifts. We need all of them. Don't you think we need a greater revelation of this? More understanding on this where it flows together and we don't just exalt one over the other because it's more attractive? or something that we like better. The Bible is the basis for all teaching, 2 Timothy 3.16, right? All scripture is God-breathed, and he's specifically talking about the Old Testament at that time, because they didn't have the New Testament written. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, instruction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The function of the teacher is to help differentiate right from wrong, they instruct the body of Christ to, be in, to, to live in obedient action. They lay out the parameters for spiritual life. It's a very long-term investment. I, I want to say this about the teacher, and then I'll just move, move on and we'll close. Teachers, one of the things that, uh, when I first started teaching, I don't think I'm a teacher per se. I do teach. I do pastor, but I think that's like my primary gifting uh, or authority that I walk in. But it's interesting that teachers, I, when, I was, uh, when I first became a Christian, one of the things that I thought was like every sermon I was going to give was going to change everybody's life. 
right? I would pray that way because that's what I learned as a good charismatic. It was like, God, I pray that this sermon would, fireworks would shoot out of my mouth and everybody would be transformed and fully mature in Jesus. I don't, you don't understand, do you understand what I'm saying? You're just young and shooting for the moon. And you know, that's not a prayer God's going to answer. I mean, if it was, I would have a heck of a ministry. I just lay hands on people. Be mature in Jesus' name. Be mature. Maturity. Mature, mature, mature. I mean, I would have such a ministry. All right, but that's not how it works. We have to grow up in Jesus. And so teaching, is a vi- teaching of the word of God is vital to that. And what I, what I thought was that teaching was going to like, my teaching, I needed to pray that it would transform everybody's life. And what I felt like the Lord gave me a revelation about teaching and really teachers is that what they do is they lay out like guardrails on the narrow path, the path of life. They lay out these guardrails, these parameters, and so that people can walk the path of life and, there's these, and they don't fall into the ditch that's on either side of the road. False teaching, false experiences, overemphasizing things. You know, it's like when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's like you're talking to people like nobody else has been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or I had a guy sit with me one time and he got delivered of a demonic spirit. And it was like, everybody needs deliverance. Everybody in the church. You know, and you're like, calm down, welcome to the party. You know, I mean, we've been here for a while. It was just that zeal that was on him, you know, and I didn't want to put out the fire, but I wanted wisdom to be added to him. But what teachers will do is they'll make a long-term investment by putting those guardrails along the path so that we can continue to walk on the path with right thinking. Not stinking thinking, but right thinking. And so we need teachers to lay out these foundations so that we can walk well together. Here's what I want to say to you, okay? There's a lot of other things that I could share But I want to close by just simply being uh, clear about the fact that you and I need to first welcome these gifts in the body of Christ in our life from whomever that God has anointed and appointed in this way. And we need to not just be preferential. We need to upgrade our receptivity. Amen? We need to upgrade our receptivity and receive from people in the body of Christ, that God has anointed and appointed. It's vital that we do that because Paul says in Ephesians 4 that as we receive from the fivefold gifts, we will grow up into fullness. It's why there's a lack of a lot of things in the body of Christ is because we have preferential receptivity. I don't even think that's a word. I made that up. I made that terminology up right there on the spot. But it's true, isn't it? We have preferential receptivity. We receive from people that we want to receive from. But we need to receive from all. There's a grace for the body of Christ to learn how to do that. Extract the good stuff from all. That's maturity. And that will help us to become mature, right? I'm not speaking of like false doctrine or teaching that's false or wrong. You're misunderstanding what I'm saying if that's what you're well, what about? Yeah, I'm with you on that. And so as we learn to do that, we also need to identify if God has anointed us in a way where we are carrying something like this. Because if we're carrying a gift like this and we haven't discovered or identified it, the body is missing something that they need. If you're carrying a ministry gift and you just don't know it, it's something that we need to ask the Lord about. Now, I've given you a test of sorts. I don't know that it's going to be that helpful. We're not going to take it in class together. I want you to bring it home and see if it's helpful for you. And if it's not, it's okay. But it's just something to start you down the road of discovery. First, we need to receive, and second, we need to 
discover what God has put in our hearts and our lives so that we can give away what God has given us. And we need to grow in that gift. And we do that through discipleship. And we're discipled by the word, the spirit, and the body. If you feel that you're called to be a pastor, you've got to get discipled by a pastor. You can't just go to Bible college and get a degree. It won't happen. Do you hear me? That, we've got a lot of people with Bible college degrees that can't pastor for their life and nobody will ever hire them. I don't care what kind of degree you give me. I'm not hiring you. You've got to get discipled in the body of Christ. You've got to have credibility. You've got to have trust. You've got to serve. Right? Leaders aren't born. They, they, they're cultivated over a period of time. Those gifts are cultivated in the body among God's people. And that's how credibility is established and added to our lives as we serve together one another. It's very vital, okay? Now, here's the thing. You say, Ben, how do I discover if I have a ministry gift? The first thing you want to do is you want to put this before the Lord. You want to ask God. You can't get out of prayer. We have a relationship with a person. Or God's not just a person, but you understand what I'm saying. This is a relationship that we have with God. It's not a test we can take. It's we've got to talk to him about this. Lord, what have you given me? And how can I embrace it in my life so that I can serve other people? That's what we have to do. That's the first and foremost thing. The second thing that you can do to discover whether or not you have these gifts is read about these gifts more and more and more. Learn about what they are and see if they resonate with you. And if they do, the third thing that you can do is you can talk to the people in your life that are surrounding you and ask them, do you think I have a prophetic gift in my life? I'm not even asking if I'm a prophet. I'm just saying, do you think I have a prophetic gift? Do you think I have a teaching gift in my life? And they, if they ask you, well, what is that? That's probably not the ask, person to ask. It's just, it's just not. And if you would tell me, now here's another thing, and we'll, I promise I'll, I will honestly close the door after this, to this sermon. If you don't have people to ask that spiritually could discern this, or possibly could discern this in your life, I would encourage you today, the next step that you need to take is you need to surround yourself with people in the body of Christ that will champion what God wants to do through you for his kingdom. If you don't have that, that is step one right there. I would not be who I am today in the Lord and, and whatever fruit, listen, whatever fruit comes out of my life for King Jesus, whatever it is, whether it's a lot or a little, he knows, I don't know. But it is a direct result, first of Jesus, but secondarily of the body of Christ, affirming the gifts of God in my life all the way. I remember 10 years ago, there was this, timid young white woman that was coming to hearing God and I brought her up in front and I laid hands on her and commissioned her to Mexico 10 years ago and so we hear the fruit that's coming out of that ministry and, and by the way she's being conservative it is it's incredible guys it's it's incredible it, it seems small but it's just like they're leading I mean you've, you guys have led hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ honestly Hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ. A lot of churches can't say that. A lot of mega churches can't say that. They can say a hundred people raise their hand, but where are those people being discipled, daily walking in relate? You, you follow what I'm saying? Okay, how do we really qualify whether or not somebody is a Christian? I don't do it by people raising their hand. That is not to me, that, means, that doesn't mean very much. Honestly, maybe somebody gave their life to Christ, maybe they raised, rose their hand, I don't know. God knows. But, but, she was affirmed, she was confirmed, she was sent, and she stayed under ministry, under leadership. She was discipled, and she stuck to it for 10 years, and that perseverance, right? 
And now there's fruitfulness coming out of that. And many of you have that story as well, and I honor you for that. But that's, the res- that's my life. That's her life. That's many of your life. And that's, if you're wondering in this stage of discovery how you're going to go about this, God can use you in a multitude of ways. I don't know how he'll do it. Some people write. Did you know some people write, and their writings go all over the place? They go all over the place. All right, so... Um, I, um, I put, posted this funny thing on Facebook about writing, and I remember when my daughter, I want to say this to you, it's prophetic. I remember when my daughter was like three years old. She's nine and a half now. Her name's Azariah. She is the princess in our house, amen? So she, she was like three years old, and she was, she's a talker. All of the people in our house are talkers, and it's definitely my wife's, because of my wife, amen? <laughs> it's definitely the way it is. Blame, blame her. Uh, and she's not going to watch this, you know, so it's fine. But anyways, uh, but she was just, she would just, and my son does the same thing. He just talk, 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 talk. I mean, Jesus. And I'd be honest with you, like sometimes I just tune out, okay? Can I be, can a dad be honest to you for a second? I love my kids, and my kids know. They settle into their father's love. I'm not, if you are around my family, a lot of people around my family, I love my kids, okay? I, sure, I could be a better dad, but I, but there's a point, man, where you exhaust me. And my kids do it. And so I just tune out, right? And, and then uh, and <laughs> and my daughter would catch on. She's so sharp. She's our evangelist. She would catch on. She would walk up to me at three years old, grab my face like this, and go, Dad, what I'm saying is important. <laughs> and I would shake and go, I'm sorry, honey. Daddy is totally paying attention right now. Any of you ever experienced this? Dad, what I'm saying is important. And then I'd shake out of my stupor and, and have a second wind. And I just, this is, I, I was thinking about this today and I posted this little funny thing on Facebook. I like to post things that kind of come to me and I feel like they could be from the Lord just to encourage people because I don't know why else you'd use Facebook. Man, I, I just have no idea. So, yeah. And so, uh, but that's what I do. And, and so I just said to everybody that would follow me or listen to me and you find people showed up tonight, what you have to say is important. What you have to say. I, I, I just believe that God wants us to know that we have something to give other people to say and to do that is important. And I want to stop and end on, on that. It's true. It's the truth. Knock anything out of your mind. Knock anything out of your heart that doesn't say that to you. God invested his son so that we could be the body of Christ And then he said, I'm going to trust you with my mission. I don't have another plan. It's up to you guys. You believe on me, you are drafted into the family business. Go represent me. Go share the gospel. Some people are going to write, and it's going to go all over. I I wrote a book, and I thought maybe 3,000 people. That was optimism. I didn't know it was going to be like 20-something. We're like 22,000 right now in three languages in two years. That's nuts. I'm a nobody. We're nobodies. We're average people, right? I mean, I drive down the street, and I see a side that says dip, and I take it personally, right? I'm just sort of an average <laughs> kind of guy. Do you, I mean, do you relate to that? I just see the sign, and I go, of course, you know? I've never thought, I've never thought that, pridefully speaking, like, God's going to use me, you know? I am just... If God had a tool set, man, he just like, la, 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 there's Ben. I'm going to, that's the one. I never thought that, you know? I never thought that. And you probably never think that. And if you do think that, 
Come back in two weeks and we'll deal with that in another sermon. (laughs) But listen to me. What you have to say is important. What you have to do in your life is important. You may not think that. and, And if you do, keep running. Keep running the race, man. Keep going for it. But if you don't, let's just ask the Lord tonight to not neglect the gift of God that was bestowed upon us in whatever way that God gave it to us. That he touched our life with a gift and he's telling us, I gave it to you so that you would share because it's of me, right? And you just watch how many people will get touched because we just learn to share what we've been given. It's all we need to do is just share in whatever way the Lord wants us to. You say, how do I know what I, how, how to do that? Just whenever your heart feels to do something, just do it. You don't have to stand up in front of a pulpit and say, God told me to do it. Just do whatever is in your heart to do to glorify Jesus. You cannot get it wrong. I don't think God ever corrects anybody for trying to do something to bring him glory. Oh, you should have never done that. I can't believe you went over to serve that person. I was telling you to go to the left side of the street. I mean, does he really think that happens? You say, how do I know? It's really simple. How do I be led by the Spirit? Whenever you sense something in your heart, act on it right then, right there, in whatever way you can, even if it's take a note that you need to do something later. You just act on it. We just got to learn to act on what God speaks to us in our heart. I'm not even sure if it's God. Just act like it is. Serve people. Love people. Give away what you've been given. That's all you got to do. It's amazing. You know, you